Welcome to Here's to Your Health with Joshua Lane. Here's to Your Health discusses the current thinking in wellness, bringing you the most influential thinkers in beauty, fitness, and longevity. Your host, Joshua Lane, was part of the Dr. Ann Wigmore team that helped bring wheatgrass, sprouts, and raw foods to a worldwide audience. And now the host of Here's to Your Health, Joshua Lane. Welcome to this edition of Here's to Your Health. I'm your host, Josh Lane. And my guest is uh, Pamela Popper, and Pamela is the CEO of an organization called Make America Free Again, and also the Wellness Forum Health Organization. And Pam has been working on wellness ideas for a very long time, and you may have seen her uh, more than 10 years ago in the documentary Forks Over Knives, which was uh, very popular when it came out. And also, uh, Pamela Popper is one of the co-authors of the companion book, which was on the New York Times bestseller list for 66 weeks. So that's really an accomplishment. Also, Pam is the author of Food Over Medicine, the conversation that can save your life. Uh, Pamela Popper, welcome to Here's to Your Health. Well, thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure. Yeah, I'm happy to have you on. It's a very important subject, uh, wellness in general, and also your organization, which you founded called Make Americans Free Again, turns out to be a very important organization that many people probably don't know the name of, which actually is helping uh, sponsor litigation to protect our health freedoms, which really a lot of us recognize now are under attack. Right, exactly. Well, we are experiencing and have been the biggest episode of what I refer to as medical tyranny in the history of the world. And that's when government and the healthcare industry and the drug companies and the medical cabal get together and decide how life is going to be for you and for me and for people literally all over the world right now. And uh, there have been a lot of attempts to fix this um, during the last few decades, and they've obviously been unsuccessful, so here we are. And uh, so in July of 2020, I decided that if I, I wanted to do something about it and that we would need to take a very different approach. And so... Um, I started um, I started Make Americans Free Again. We started having a local meeting, which then spread to meetings all over the country. We have them in all 50 states now. And um, at these meetings, we do several things. First of all, people meet people of like mind. I'm sure you've had the same experience as everybody. Organizations and people you used to be close to aren't around anymore or don't want anything to do with you anymore. Me too, right? Mm-hmm. So we meet new friends, and we find new churches, and we get new jobs, and we help healthcare workers get out of their uh, mandate, vaccine mandate jobs. And we have parents mentoring parents who are... Uh, looking to homeschool their children, and we save local businesses. And maybe most important of all, we raise enormous amounts of money to fund litigation, and we are going about the litigation in a very, very strategic way. In other words, a coordinated national effort where we pick and choose our attorneys carefully. We know that they're good trial lawyers. We work from a legal strategy that's coordinated and planned in advance rather than this hurry-up-and-file-something that you've seen a lot of. And we've been winning. Uh, In some cases, we just won by filing. I mean, in Ohio, where I live, of course, the first lawsuit was filed here. Uh, Tom Renz is our chief lawyer, also lives in Ohio. And we were able to keep our our state from being shut down a second time. And we were first of all the hard lockdown states to regain our total freedoms in June of last year. We really did put our governor on the defensive. Um, we've won several other cases, too, high-profile cases. We represent uh, the New York City Police, 
we won a case, a Vax or Terminate case in Gainesville uh, for the city employees. Um, our attorney in New York won the maximum damage award on a flu vaccine case for the family of a child who died. Um, and uh, we're filing new cases every day. Well, and we won big, big cases that we won in Boston uh, on the Vax or Terminate um, or a vaccine passport uh, issue. Right. So what we're doing has been successful. We're going to keep doing more of it. When you do something that works, you do more of it, right? Yes. And, um, and, and I think that um, our success has been on a couple of different levels. We're restoring our society one group at a time, and we're taking our rights back one lawsuit at a time. And so that's, that's basically our mission in a nutshell. Well, it sounds like an important uh, mission. Our guest is Pamela Papa, and Pamela founded, she's the CEO of Make Americans Free Again, and they are doing some very excellent litigation to protect our freedoms, including the big success they had in Boston, uh, which was file, filed in the end of uh, er, middle of February this, of this year, and which the uh, mayor of Boston, after receiving the I guess, I guess summons might be the wrong word, but after the litigation was filed, she folded her position within five hours. Am I correct in saying that? That's exactly right, and I think one of the reasons for it was that we sued her personally, um, and we sued the health director personally, and we sued to have the health board that was illegally formed um, to, to be disassembled, first of all, because it was illegally formed, and the second thing is during the entire two years of COVID, while all these mandates were being handed down in the city of Boston, they didn't even meet. And uh, they basically just abdicated their responsibility uh, during that time. So um, she she saw the handwriting on the wall. Um, she was uh, the, what she had done was grossly unpopular. And what a lot of people don't know about Boston that was kind of unique is that um, Boston is surrounded by counties that did not have a vax passport um, mandate. So what people were doing was was just driving, you know, 20 minutes out of out of Boston to go to a restaurant, to attend a theater event, or to go to the movies or whatever. So she was literally, I mean, this this witch, and she is a witch, was starving her her business community out. There would be nothing left if this went on for any great length of time. And so um, we felt it was an important case, both because we would like to see no more Vax passport anywhere. But also because um, uh, what what she was doing to her particular community was maybe more egregious than in some other areas uh, where that was the case. We also also filed a Vax passport case in um, New York, and uh, after the Boston win, I'm sure this was a coincidence, but right before we were supposed to have another hearing in court, the mayor said, "Well, maybe we won't do Vax passport anymore." I'm sure it was a coincidence, but, right, <laughs> but anyway, right, right. they gave it up in New York. Okay, our guest is Pamela Popper. Uh, Pam is the CEO, the founder of Make Americans Free Again, and you just heard, you know, they're doing uh, legal work. That the courts are protecting us. Uh, Pam, what was it that made you realize that the way to really protect our health freedoms and our freedom in general was through the courts rather than, say, uh, picketing or marching or uh, going with hat in hand to our congressman or senator? because none of those things have ever worked before. I'm so glad you asked that. You know, I'm 65 years old, and I don't consider myself an old person. I have plenty of energy, much to my enemy's chagrin. But um, at this age, I just don't have an appetite for spending 20 hours a day on something that doesn't work. So what have people been doing for 50 years while this has gotten worse that doesn't work? 
Well, they protest, and then they sign petitions and declarations. I mean, the Great Barrington Declaration had a half a million signatures, and tens of thousands of them were prominent healthcare professionals and public health authorities and et cetera. Didn't do any good. Then they write to their congressmen. They write to their local officials. They don't even see those emails. I've been in their offices, and they say, hey, are we getting any uh, correspondence on this? Yeah, we're getting some. Well, some could be three million, but they'd never know it. Um, and then they, you know, people people uh, show up at meetings and scream and holler. And you know, if you chase the school board out of the building, I think most people realize those people are still the school board members the next morning, right? You haven't really changed anything. So the the bottom line is that we just decided we had to do this differently if we were going to do it at all. So the courts are the last functioning branch of government. The executive branch has completely gone rogue, and uh, they've declared themselves emperors and empresses. The legislative branch is useless. I can count on one hand a number of laws that have been passed throughout the whole country that really made any substantive difference in this situation. So the courts are where we go. When people are legitimately concerned, they say, well, there are bad courts and bad judges, and there are, but there are good courts and there are good judges, and and uh, we've been fortunate to be in front of some of them. And uh, if you file enough, I mean, I come from, before I was in healthcare, I'll share this with you, I was in direct sales. And one of the things that we used to teach in direct sales was the more people you talk to, the more stuff you'll sell, right? Just it's a lot of numbers. And mm-hmm. the same thing is true here. The more lawsuits you file, the more likely you are to have a win. And so we've been making numbers work for us uh, there, too. So that's why we decided to use the courts, and that's why we decided to use the groups. We want to we want to do things that we can win at. We can restore our local economy by supporting our businesses. We can we can really reform the education system by getting our kids the heck out of it. I mean, the education these are, these are dystopian environments we used to call school. They're not school anymore. Kids need to be out of there, and we have to help with that. We can build a new healthcare system with healthcare workers escaping the institutional practice of medicine and going out on their own. So, both at the local level and then at the national level with lawsuits, we can we can rebuild our our lives and and have an entirely different um, existence uh, than than we've had in the past and and take back control of our of our of our lives again. So um, it's a successful strategy. I knew it would work. I'm glad it has because I, I, I care about our country. I don't want to see us in this situation anymore. Right, right. Our guest is Pamela Popper. Pamela is the founder, the CEO of Make Americans Free Again, and you may have seen Pam in the important documentary Forks Over Knives, which was a big hit in 2011. Also, she was in the uh, video um, documentary, rather, Processed People, and the uh, uh, a third called uh, Making a Killing. And again, Pam is one of the co-authors of the New York Times bestseller, the companion book for Forks Over Knives, which was on the New York Times bestseller list for 66 weeks. Pamela, at this time, doesn't it seem that in general more information is coming out about problems associated with the vaccinations and that indeed to a large extent, if I can put it this way, your ideas are winning? Yes, Um, and and it's going to get worse for them, not us. Um, The document dumps that uh, are coming from the FDA which, by the way, just as my way of example, I have to point out, you know, the FDA went to court to try to keep from the public 
the documents concerning approval of the Pfizer vaccine. So there's just a, a blatant example of how they, they really work for Pfizer, not for us. They're a government agency, but they're not doing anything for us. And so, um, so anyway, um, in, in that first uh, batch of documents, it was, it was horrifying what was in there. Uh, there were 1,250, I think it was roughly, um, uh, conditions of concern that, that one might um, develop as a result of the vaccine. Uh, there were, um, uh, you know, over a thousand deaths within 90 days. And to put that in perspective, I mean, there, there are some people, advocates, for example, who might say, well, you know, a thousand deaths in a country of 377 million people or 340 million, whatever it is. But um, back in 1976, when things were a little less crazy, there were 25 deaths at the time that a uh, hurry-up-and-get-it-out-there vaccine for flu um, had, had hit the market. And uh, they took it off the market. Um, uh, the, the, the alarm bells went off at 25 deaths. By the time they took it off the market, there were 56. There were 674 total, and they said it was the biggest health catastrophe of all time. And so you've got, you know, a thousand, now tens of thousands of deaths, and they want to give it to newborns? I mean, you know, their, their intentions, uh, the longer this goes on, the more apparent it is that their intentions are nothing to do with public health, nothing to do with protecting people, everything to do with promoting um, and making rich and richer the vaccine companies, manufacturers, and their owners and stockholders. Right. Right. Unfortunately, that's true. The pharmaceutical industries have been uh, making a bundle on these vaccines, and unfortunately, people like Pfizer and Johnson & Johnson have a very poor track record uh, and as far as uh, health and safety, and they've been sued successfully by the U.S. government for you know uh, large sums of money, so we know that they have a history of... Uh, Incorrect behavior. Let's put it that way. Pam, oh, it's horrible. Yeah. It's just horrible. And in any other, in a, in a normal society, they would be forbidden to do business in the United States. And instead, they get more and more and more favors, if you will, granted. It seems like the more people they hurt and kill, the easier their regulatory life becomes in the United States. And they just look at these billion-dollar fines, and they've all paid some of them as a cost of doing business. It's like the way you and I look at the electric bill for our businesses. Right. It's just right. what you have to do to stay in business. Right. Our guest is Pamela Popper. She is the CEO of Make Americans Free Again, a very good organization winning in the courts to protect uh, health care, uh, health freedoms, uh, our lives, our occupations. Uh, Pamela, we have about two minutes left. Please tell the listeners of Here's to Your Health where they can contact you to find out more about your important work. Yes, sure. My, my email address is pampopper at msn.com. You can email me directly and participate in conference calls, which I hold every week, um, to help you understand more detail about what we do and how to start one of our groups. Um, we also offer, I've had tens of thousands of healthcare workers participate in free conference calls that uh, um, help healthcare workers kind of reimagine their existence outside of institutional medicine. You're welcome to join one of those. Um, you can go to our website at makeamericansfreeagain.com and see a little bit more about our organization. You can donate, buy our merchandise. Uh, so those are the ways to get in touch with us and to join our efforts. That sounds very, very good. Our guest has been Pamela Popper, and Pamela is the CEO, the founder of Make Americans Free Again, an organization doing some very good work uh, through the courts 
to protect our health freedoms. And surprisingly, uh, some people might feel surprisingly, things are going better now because more Americans are aware of the problems associated with these forced new medications that were not properly tested and the deaths and illnesses that have resulted that have not been properly reported in some of the uh, mainstream news organizations. Again, it's Pamela Popper, the founder of Make Americans Free Again. You can contact Pamela at P-A-M-P-O-P-P-E-R at MSN.com. That's Pam's email address. That's Pam Popper at MSN.com, and the organization is Make Americans Free Again. This is Josh Lane, listening to Here's to Your Health. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back after these important messages. Medical scientists worldwide are encouraging people to eat more fish. Most American diets are low in cold water fish that are abundant in important omega-3 oils. DHA and EPA are the vital components of fish oil that provide healthy benefits. Not only are they crucial for brain and vision development, they're very important for cardiovascular health. Carlson, America's leading Norwegian fish oil brand, specializes in both great-tasting soft gels that are easy to swallow and fish oil liquids that don't taste fishy. That's right, Carlson provides the most extensive line of fish oils to meet all your needs. You can take Carlson fish oils with confidence. For Carlson fish oils are tested for purity, potency, and freshness. Ask for Carlson Norwegian fish oils today. That's right, ask for Carlson Norwegian fish oils today. Beljansky supplements and herbal teas, widely used in Europe, now the Beljansky formulas are available in the United States. Used by athletes, fashion models, the former president of France, and those in the know. Beljansky supplements and herbal teas can work for you. Call 212-308-7066. That's 212-308-7066. Visit our center in New York City. Our website is www.maisonbeljansky.com. That's www.maisonbeljansky.com. Feel better naturally. Beljansky Formulas. Welcome to this edition of Here's to Your Health. I'm your host, Josh Lane. And my guest is uh, Bill Tabner. And Bill is the CEO of uh, Ball Chain Manufacturing in uh, Mount Vernon, New York, and Bill's return guest to the show, and they manufacture all the uh, ball chains for dog tags, uh, ceiling fans, uh, you name it, uh, Bill Tabner and his family, it's a family-run business, they uh, manufacture it. Bill Tabner, welcome to Here's to Your Health. Hi, Josh, how are you? Thanks for having me again. Oh, my pleasure. I feel like I'm I'm almost uh, a regular. You are, you are at this point a regular, yes you are, I would say that you are a regular. And, uh, oh, good. Yeah, okay. you are. And besides the ball chain, again, manu- manufactured dog tags for the U.S. military, and I know that your great-grandfather started the uh, business in 1938. It's a family-run business. That's yeah. really lovely. So, uh, you know, 
fun fact, uh, my great-grandfather worked for a company called Leviton Manufacturing. It's a big electrical company. Still, uh, it's still around, and I believe it's still privately held, but he was their head engineer there. And if you look at the original uh, patent for the light switch uh, that you see to turn, you know, on the wall to turn on and off lights, his name was on it. He had invented it, and uh, it was assigned to Leviton, obviously, because he was their engineer. But so that's just a little history about our company and my family. So I thought you might find that interesting. Well, that's a very nice history. It's real. It's it's amazing how you can have uh, one man can have really profound influence. Uh, no one might know his name, but uh, I guess the family knows about you know what yep. what they have accomplished. So with that science background, what was mm-hmm. it that convinced your relatives to go into business for themselves? You know something. I his name was Franz uh, Taubner, and his son's name was Val Taubner, uh, and that was my grandfather and my great grandfather respectively. Um, but they both uh, were engineers, trained engineers, and. Uh, uh, I think I believe they both got their degrees from uh, the City University of New York. At least my grandfather did. But mm-hmm. um, the interesting part about it is that, and I applaud them for this. It's just you know, starting a business is uh, intimidating, but their bravery to do it. And they had an idea, and they started it in their garage. You know, they made the chain in the garage. You know, the machine during the day. My grandfather also would not only. Uh, help build the machines and run the machines, but he would also try and sell the chain. And my uh, great grandmother uh, was a housekeeper at that time, and uh, she would clean the chain at night. So it's sort huh. of a team family effort. And we've grown over the years. We started our first factory after the garage was in the Bronx, uh, specifically on Bond Street in the Bronx. And then we moved to our current location in the 50s um, in Mount Vernon. And uh, we added, built other buildings and acquired more properties here and, you know, grown to become the largest manufacturer of ball chains in the world. Um, so that's sort of how that story. But it's fun. I worked with my brothers, um, some of my friends growing up, and it's, uh, it's really it's really a rewarding experience for me, not only uh, on many levels, just, you know, working with, you know, doing the business, you know, building something or making something tangible, but also working with the uh, you know, friends, family. It's uh, it's very nice. So I'm very lucky. No, it really sounds really that you have good fortune. I'm sure with a huge amount of work. Our guest is Bill Taubner, and Bill is the president of the uh, Ball Chain Manufacturing Company in Mount Vernon, New York. And Bill, when did your company get the contract to supply Ball Chain for all the U.S. dog tags that the men and women all use? You know, something. I it, it must be decades. You know, there used to be three companies that made ball chains in the United States. Um, there's uh, now only one of us that makes it in the U- United States. All the other, uh, all the other chains are made overseas, uh, China, I believe, and some of the other uh, Far East countries. But um, so the, you know, distinct, you know, in terms of like the ball chains for the military, we've been the the exclusive supplier for quite some time now. Um, especially because we make it in the USA, but you know, at any, I would put our you know pricing and anything up against anyone, uh, anyone in the world. We ship all over the world. We ship to the Far East. We ship to Australia. We ship to Europe. We ship South America. We ship everywhere, um, and uh, I, our quality is second to none. You know, and that leads me to, and I know the ball chain part of it is something that I'm so proud of. Um, and I, part of the, 
you know, one of the reasons why we're on, again, is to talk about the bonafide mass part of the business, which mm-hmm. we've discussed previously. Um, and that, that I wanted to just uh, touch, base with every, touch base with you and just let you know that we have a couple exciting announcements that we're doing uh, in terms of that division. Um, and I'd love to share that with you and just tell you a little bit about that, if that's okay. Oh, please. Our guest is Bill Taubner. He's the president of the Ball Chain Manufacturing Company in Mount Vernon, New York. Uh, they've been in business since 1938, family-run business. So, Bill, what about the new uh, KN95 bonafide mask? Because that's obviously very important now. Yeah, so the bonafide masks, um, during the bonafide masks, we've been, uh, that division started a couple years ago. Um, but specifically over the last, over the last, um, over the last, um, I would say three months or so, and back at the end of December, as we know, with the Omicron variant, and the CDC recommending K95s and N95 respirators for everybody as opposed to cloth masks. The, at that point, the market uh, or the demand for the KN95s and the N95s exploded um, tremendously. And it was, we had, uh, I have to say, we were overwhelmed with orders or, um, and we got through it. Um, and what we've done recently, and we just announced this recently that I wanted to share with you, we recently have increased our inventory levels across the board. Um, I think in about two weeks or so, we should have about 30 million plus masks mm, in the wow. inventory increased our warehousing space as well. Uh, we formed a couple new partnerships. Um, there's one company in the United States um, that we're now an authorized distributor for called Demotech, and they make their masks in the United States. So we're continuing to forge relationships directly with, with the mask manufacturers, uh, both domestically and internationally, with only uh, reputable and well-known brands, brands that were basically uh, that other, if they're N95s, NIOSH approved, uh, companies that have had a history manufacturing masks, and the KN95s, the KN95 manufacturers that we work with, only the ones that uh, had their masks that were FDA authorized under an EUA, um, uh, authorized by the FDA under an EUA, when N- authorized for healthcare professionals in healthcare settings, N95s were short in supply. So, and that's one of the other things I wanted to just, uh, we'll be sending out a little uh, press release shortly about uh, some of this information, but we wanted to let everybody know one of the most important things uh, that we do over here is to make sure that we bring authentic masks to everyone that needs them at an affordable price. And uh, our business model over here is only to deal direct with the manufacturers. So we will never bring a mask, uh, sell a mask in the marketplace. Uh, We will only sell a mask in the marketplace that comes directly from the factory, and we will only deal with these factories as exclusive or authorized dealers. So the public can have 100% confidence in the mask they're getting from us as being authentic. Yeah, there are different um, models out there now um, where people... You know, retailers and organizations and other people, marketplaces that sell masks. And typically, from my experience at least, they typically ask for proof of purchase from a manufacturer or something um, at the outset. So the initial, you know, so you provide some documentation, and at that point they open the gate and then you're allowed to sell on that particular platform. Um, and from my experience, again, there's not, there's, I haven't seen any continued vetting after that. So what ends up happening is that basically someone provides some paperwork, um, 
and then they're allowed to sell on that platform, marketplace, retail outlet, whatever. Um, and then from that point on, at least from my experience, again, there's a lack of continued vetting uh, over there. And that's why we only will deal direct. So the public uh, will have confidence in the mass that they're getting from us, that they're direct from the manufacturers. We never deal with any intermediaries, third parties, or agents. And the other thing is that we only will uh, sell uh, mass as an authorized or exclusive distributor from the, directly from the manufacturers. So we, f- we believe in our model over here, and we're continuing to expand it. Uh, our footprint, we're increasing our inventory levels. So in case, you know, um, as people need masks, if they want them, we'll be here for them and uh, large or small orders. And we've also broadened our, uh, you know, array of uh, manufacturers, too, so we have contingencies. So we're not relying on one particular manufacturer as well, so people have choices and uh, if there's an issue with the manufacturer, um, that we have other options for the public as well. So that's what I wanted to let everybody know. Well, that seems that to be actually important information. Our guest is Bill Taubner, and Bill is the president of the Ball Chain Manufacturing Company, family-run business in Mount Vernon, New York, in business since 1930. And I'm happy to say 1930 is a long time ago. And Bill, it so is. you just mentioned that Sometimes if people get buy a product from a, another third party, that they get a certificate of authenticity, but then they don't follow up on that. So you're concerned about quality control. So what is it that you're doing with the KN95 bonafide masks that make them a better, a safer choice, a more effective choice for us? So in my opinion, the best way to the best way to make sure that somebody is getting an authentic mask is to make sure that that mask is coming directly from the factory. The supply chain, um, as you um, enter or introduce more people into the supply chain, for example, um, if you're party A and you're buying, you want to buy from them, you want to buy, you know, party, you know, a type of mask. If you buy from Joe, who happens to be in, you know, in New York and Joe's, and Joe's buying from Tom, who happens to be in Hong Kong, and Tom's buying from you know, Steve, who's in China, and then, you know, Steve's getting that mask someplace. At that point, in my mind, that that, uh, that supply chain becomes uh, weak and potentially introduces, you could potentially introduce a fake mask, mm-hmm. and that's way, or knockoff. So our strength over here is only dealing direct. So when somebody buys from us, they will they know that they're getting a mask from an authorized or exclusive distributor that only... Uh, buys only gets masked directly from the manufacturer. They never will come from an intermediary, third party, or an agent. They will only come from the manufacturer. So that that direct relationship and the fact that we're transparent about it, that strength over there, uh, I firmly believe, at least again in my mind, that uh, our supply chain is stronger than anybody else's out there. And it's it's and it's there to you know to provide comfort. So when people are buying masks, because we've all read about all the issues that have been out there with uh, people, you know, not sure if they're getting a, an authentic mask, a uh, knockoff, or, or a mask that meets standards. So that's why we're, you know, in the beginning when we uh, first embarked on this journey to get involved with the mask, we uh, sat down and we said, we will do this the way we, the only way we know how to, and that is the right way. Uh, it's simple, um, and, uh, and I think in, in, my, in my mind, again, it's the strongest supply chain that you can have, and we're very transparent about it. 
Right. Our guest is Bill Taubner, and he's discussing the KN95 bonafide masks for our protection. And Bill, so uh, two questions. When I wear one of the KN95 uh, bonafide masks, how many times can I reuse it? And what are the materials in the mask that make them a better choice than some of the little cotton masks I've seen around? Well, it's a good question. So I'll, I'll, I'll answer the second question first, if you don't mind. So the filter material that's in the KN95 is a polypropylene electrostatic filter material. Um, and that's what, that's, what gives the, that's what drives the filtration efficiency. And the filter material, it's the quality of that filter material that, again, will uh, drive the quality of the, the fil- you know, filtration efficiency. So the higher grade filter you have over there, the better the filtration efficiency. The Palcoms, the, all the KN95s, the Harley KN95s uh, that we offer, they all have you know, uh, 95% and above uh, filtration efficiencies. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in terms of the reuse of the mask, so the CDC has shown that the virus dies after three days uh, on surfaces. So what we recommend and the CDC, I believe, recommends as well, is that you can rotate them. So you can't wash them because, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the, uh, the, the filter material is a polypropylene electrostatic material. So by introducing water to that particular electrostatic material, it uh, has a harmful effect or renders it useless. So um, you want to avoid, you know, obviously washing it. Um, but what you can do is, like, after use, you can put it in a bag, plastic bag, and then reuse it three or four days later. Uh, what I would typically do, would, uh, I would have a bunch of masks in my car, and I'd have plastic bags just labeled Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, etc. And then on Monday's mask, if I'm done with it, I put it back in the Monday bag and then use it the next Monday. Um, but keep in mind, too, these are, you know, they're filter uh, masks. So, for example, if you were wearing this particular mask in a wood shop type of environment, it would get clogged naturally uh, from the sawdust. So, um, and then it make it difficult to breathe through. So, you'd want to obviously use different. So, my point being that eventually these things are going to uh, get clogged up, uh, and then you want to use a new one. Um, the other thing too, I always tell people, I always say the best rule, you know, better safe than sorry, the best rule of thumb. So, if you ever went into a high risk environment. So when I went to the dentist uh, a couple months ago, um, after I, I wore the mask into the dentist's office and afterwards, and then I actually discarded it afterwards um, just because I, was, I felt that I was in a higher-risk environment, so I discarded it. And I would probably do the same thing in a hospital or if I was in a, amongst a very highly densely group of people. Sure, sure. So, um, but that's, that's, uh, that's pretty much it for both the filter material and also the reuse. That sounds very good. Our guest has been Bill Taubner, and Bill, return guest to the show, is the president and the, of the Ball Chain Manufacturing Company in Mount Vernon, uh, New York, and been in family business since 1938, and discussing the KN95 bonafide masks, which work very well to help protect us during the, uh, this time now with uh, COVID-19. And you can contact uh, Bill Taubner directly at Ball Chain, Ball Chain Manufacturing, again, there in Mount Vernon, New York. This is Josh Lane. You're listening to Here's to Your Health. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back after these important messages. Medical scientists worldwide are encouraging people to eat more fish. Most American diets are low in cold water fish that are abundant in important omega-3 oils. 
DHA and EPA are the vital components of fish oil that provide healthy benefits. Not only are they crucial for brain and vision development, they're very important for cardiovascular health. Carlson, America's leading Norwegian fish oil brand, specializes in both great-tasting soft gels that are easy to swallow and fish oil liquids that don't taste fishy. That's right, Carlson provides the most extensive line of fish oils to meet all your needs. You can take Carlson fish oils with confidence. For Carlson fish oils are tested for purity, potency, and freshness. Ask for Carlson Norwegian fish oils today. That's right, ask for Carlson Norwegian fish oils today. The Beljansky Foundation offers you the scientific approach to healing used successfully by Francois Mitterrand, the former president of France. The Beljansky Foundation offers you non-toxic, scientifically supported methods to regain your health. Visit the Beljansky Foundation website, www.beljansky.org. You'll be glad you did. That's www.beljansky.org. The Beljansky Foundation. The information is essential. The Beljansky Foundation. www.beljansky.org. The Beljansky Method, now in America. www.beljansky.org. Welcome to this edition of Here's to Your Health. I'm your host, Josh Lane. And my guest is uh, Adam Angievsky, who is the uh, founder of OpenTheBooks.com. And Adam's reporting, he's a reporter, uh, his findings have aired on ABC's Good Morning America, on ABC's World News Tonight, on the BBC, on C-SPAN, on Fox News, and on nearly every major media platform, including being published at the New York Times, USA Today, The Washington Post, and The Wall Street Journal. Now, Adam has been a longtime contributor to Forbes magazine, I think uh, contributing more than 200 articles, so that makes him a longtime contributor. But he actually lost his job at Forbes uh, because he was pressured to stop his investigative reporting on Dr. Anthony Fauci, which revealed that should Dr. Fauci uh, retire shortly, that he receives a $350,000 retirement package, which seems to me to be a legitimate uh, thing to report, especially in a magazine such as Forbes, which is a business-oriented magazine. Adam Andrzejewski, welcome to Here's to Your Health. Well, thank you, Josh. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Very happy to have you on the show. And again, so you have a very long track record on on all the influential media platforms discussing various things that you are busy reporting for the American public. So why was it that Forbes, where you had been a longtime contributor, I'm sure, no doubt, well-liked, why would simply reporting that Anthony Fauci is going to receive a retirement package of $350,000, which is a great deal of money, but why would that cost you your job? Well, that is an open question. So we had found 14 months ago that Dr. Anthony Fauci, and I broke this in my column at Forbes, 
that he was the top paid, most highly compensated federal employee. Uh, you know, I don't do this alone. I've got a team at OpenTheBooks.com of auditors, and we know how to dig, and we've been digging the Fauci financials that, you know, the best way to describe that is they're buried in a deep bunker over at the National Institutes of Health. Mm-hmm. When we when we would um, uncover things, I would, fu- I would publish them in my column at Forbes. It turned out these things were so sensitive that the National Institutes of Health they loaded a big artillery shell in their gun. They fired it at the Forbes C-suite. Unfortunately, Forbes quickly folded, and my column was terminated. I tell you, I'm a little, I'm actually a little surprised to hear that because it seems to me that the salaries that public officials earn is a legitimate topic of a concern, uh, frankly. And the fact that Anthony Fauci has been in such an important position for what is it? Is it 40 years or it's more than 40 years? So he has a great deal of power. But it seems to me that the discussion of money is a is a very fair consideration. Well, I think it is a fair consideration. But this was so sensitive to the National Institutes of Health that on a Sunday morning, six of their top executives, two directors of the National Institute of Health, two bureau chiefs and two top public relations officers, they took time out from protecting the country during the pandemic to write a letter, like I said, on a Sunday morning to Forbes, who's been around for 100 years, basically expressing that, you know, they didn't like NGFC's reporting and for Forbes to do something about it. Now, they didn't exactly say it that way. They couched everything in terms of a quote-unquote corrections email with no substantial corrections. She had to read between the lines. But Forbes got the message, and within 24 hours, they told me I could no longer publish on Anthony Fauci. Hmm. All right, so uh, our guest is the reporter, uh, Adam Angievsky, who is the CEO, the founder of OpenTheBooks.com, whose findings have been reported and used on ABC's Good Morning America, ABC's World News Tonight, World News Tonight, the BBC, C-SPAN, Fox News. So this is an important uh, reporter. Now, Let's talk about the money that Anthony Fauci and his wife earn. How much money does Anthony Fauci earn, and how much money does his wife earn? So Dr. Fauci out-earns everybody at the federal level and makes $456,000 a year. What we also learned is that his wife, Christine Brady, who's the chief, she's the head of the department of the bioethics at National Institutes of Health. She's the top chief bioethicist there. She out-earns the vice president, and she makes 238000 a year. So if you add the salaries of the two Fauci's paid for by taxpayers, and if you tack on 30% for federal benefits each year, at taxpayer cost annually, they make north of $900,000. Okay, that's, that's real money. That's definitely real money. Okay, and so now I think it's interesting that people would know this. Now, I am a little surprised to hear they're earning that much money. I'm not super shocked, but I'm a little surprised. But why exactly is it, is it the fact that he's been there for 40 years? Is it is it uh, that he has that also does he does he make side money too on some of these uh, patents? Yes, he does make side money. So uh, so people will remember the Senate hearing in January, and it was Fauci's code red moment. He ended up calling Senator U.S. Senator Roger Marshall out of Kansas a quote unquote moron was one of the top news stories of the day. Marshall was simply asking Fauci about his finances. 
he cited Forbes, which was my investigation published at Forbes through our organization at OpenTheBooks.com. Uh, you know, Fauci melted down in the Senate hearing and on national television. Uh, so, uh, you know, this is this is just an example of, you know, he, he doesn't like the oversight on his finances. Um, when those disclosures were finally released, we went through them immediately, and I published the findings at Forbes that the two Fauci's have a household net worth that rivals $11 million on their federal salaries, their royalties, investment gains, and other perks in 2020, that amounted to nearly $1.8 million. And we also found that in February of 2021, Tony Fauci received a million-dollar prize from a foundation in Israel for, quote-unquote, speaking truth to power during the Trump administration. So, you know, there's a lot of findings that we uh, that we unearthed, and it's, you know, since... Dr. Fauci is not only the top paid, but the most visible, and nobody's influenced public health policy in this country more in the last two years. You know, all of this oversight is critical. Yes, yes, I believe the oversight is critical. Our, our guest is uh, Adam Andrzejewski, the uh, reporter who uh, broke the story on Forbes, uh, Forbes magazine, about the salary and the perks of uh, Anthony Fauci, and then who was uh, let go by the magazine, and he'd worked for Forbes for eight years. Now, I did notice uh, that uh, you've received a lot of positive press in the mainstream press. The New York Post, which is a pretty conservative uh, daily, they actually did a nice little piece on you. It really didn't seem to attack you very much, uh, slightly, but mostly they were kind of in your in your corner about your legitimacy of this reporting, and I also noticed that uh, you know you're on Fox. You've been on Fox now a couple of times, and you've been treated uh, pretty fairly there. So, are the reporters on your side? So I think they should be. Um, transparency, you know, we believe transparency revolutionizes United States public policy and politics, and every single journalist in the country used to believe that as well. So let's kind of walk through the pushback from NIH. So when we uncovered that Fauci was the top paid federal employee, people wanted to know why. And we filed Freedom of Information Act requests with NIH, you know, for, for Fauci's job description, for his contracts, for his ethics, financial and conflict documents, for his royalties, and whether or not he has a hush agreement, a confidentiality agreement. And NIH produced virtually nothing for 10 months subject to that FOIA request. So we sued them in federal court. And since then, over a five-month period, they have produced virtually nothing subject to our federal lawsuit. Then you had Fauci in the Senate hearing in January when he said that his financial information is public knowledge. And it just wasn't true. So he misled the, the nation in the Senate hearing. I called them out on it in my column at Forbes. I immediately put up, no, Fauci's financial information is not online. NIH should release it immediately. NIH came down hard on Forbes. Forbes came down hard on me. I told the truth. They pulled the plug. Right, right. Our guest is uh, Adam Andrzejewski, who is the uh, CEO of OpenTheBooks.com, whose reporting at Forbes uh, caused a uh, controversy 
because uh, he felt that we, the American people, have the right to know the salaries of the people who are work in government, not elected, of course, who work in government and who uh, do things that we should know about and we need to know their salaries. seems very fair. But it does seem to me, Adam, that uh, I think people feel that we have a right to know the salaries and that, indeed, this is going to make them seem much more suspect uh, then if you had simply if they had simply released the information and you had published it, people might have said, "Well, that's a lot of money," and maybe let it go. But now it does look like they're trying to cover up, and oftentimes it's the cover up that really makes the politician that really brings the politicians down. Well, I agree, and I you look. Know, I don't think Americans are going to be, be you know are going to uh, uh, begrudge a top doctor from earning a high salary. Right. In this country, we view success favorably. But since Tony Fauci is the top-paid federal employee, here's the point. He owes us a lot. And right now, he's treating all of us like a bunch of mushrooms, keeping us in the dark, watering us, and putting the fertilizer on us. Mm -hmm. You know what kind of fertilizer they fertilize mushrooms with? Yes. So I think that a long time ago, back in 2004, the United States government made a decision that Fauci was indispensable to the health and safety of this country and the ongoing concern of the United States of America. And the reason I think that is because one of the documents that NIH did release, they only released 58 pages. In our federal lawsuit, they admit they have 1,200 pages of Fauci financial documents. Every page could be a national news story. 1,200 mm -hmm. pages. Wow. But in the 58 pages they did release, we unearthed the memo from 2004. Uh, it was a private memo that, and it's why he's the top paid federal employee, because he got a permanent pay adjustment. Think of it as a permanent bonus for his biodefense work. So I think back in 04, the United States government made the decision. They wanted Fauci on the team. They didn't want him jumping to the uh, pharmaceutical industry. And so they gave, him, they gave him this hook. That was codified publicly in 2008 with President George W. Bush, who turned around and gave Fauci the highest civilian honor the uh, Presidential Medal of Freedom. Okay, so Fauci's untouchable. You know, you know our organization, because he's the top paid, most visible, and he's affected U.S. health policy more than anybody else, he's been in the room over the last two years during the pandemic. We decided to give him oversight, uh, but, you know, NIH protects Fauci, and they came down hard. Right, they really, they really seem to come down hard on you. Our guest is Adam Andrzejewski, the CEO of OpenTheBooks.com, uh, on this re important reporting. And again, he was an, an important reporter for Forbes for about eight years. Adam, what's going to happen now as a result of this reporting? So, you know, our federal lawsuit is ongoing. So, incredibly, they owe us 60,000 pages, they admit, to Fauci's calendar entries and related documents in the three months before the pandemic and the three months after the pandemic. They owe us another 3,000 pages of line-by-line -line royalty payments from third-party payers to NIH scientists. Hmm. Uh, you know, every single line of those 3,000 pages could be a potential conflict of interest. For instance, pharmaceutical companies to current NIH scientists who co-invented uh, different products with the company. Uh, they owe us 1,200 pages of Fauci financials. So our oversight always was only just getting started. 
you know, we were very proud that uh, U.S. Senator Roger Marshall used our investigation in the Senate hearing to hold Fauci accountable. And you can't be America's top doctor if you're melting down in a Senate hearing, calling a U.S. senator a moron on national television. Right, right, right. Uh, Adam, we have, uh, this is Adam Anjevsky, who is the CEO of OpenTheBooks.com. We have about a minute left. Please tell listeners of Here's to Your Health how they can contact you to find out more about your important work. So just come to OpenTheBooks.com and sign up with your email address. And what that does is it puts you on our breaking news list as we issue all of these reports on Dr. Anthony Fauci and all the other 500 investigations that we're going to do this year on many topics across the entire local, state, and federal continuum, uh, you'll be the first to know. Wow, that sounds great. That sounds really very good. Our guest has been uh, Adam Anjevsky, the CEO of OpenTheBooks.com. And as Adam just told you, you can sign on for the newsletter at OpenTheBooks.com. And again, Adam's findings, you've, you've, you've read about them or heard about them on ABC's Good Morning America, on ABC's World News Tonight, on the BBC, on C-SPAN, on Fox News, and virtually every other major media outlet platform, including being published in the New York Times, USA Today, the Washington Post, and the Wall Street Journal. This is Josh Lane. You're listening to Here's to Your Health. We'll take a short break. We'll be right back after these important messages. The latest from the greatest, the best in new music by classic rockers, with your host, the insane Daryl Wayne. This is Alice Cooper, and if Daryl Wayne is insane, what does that make me? criminally insane. Stick around to find out. Many of the artist interviews for the latest from the greatest have been captured on audiobook. There is a volume one and volume two. Great information and conversations with people in the industry and people surrounded by the industry and of course the rock stars themselves. I'm the Reverend Al Green and you're listening to the insane Daryl Wayne and I said Wayne Insane. You can find it on Amazon or Blackstone Audio. Search for the latest from the greatest from Daryl Wayne, D-A-R-R-E-L-L-W-A-Y-N-E. Hello, this is Weird Al Yankovic, and you're listening to the insane Daryl Wayne, aren't you? (laughs) Thank you for tuning in to this edition of Here's to Your Health with Joshua Lane. If you have any questions about the guests or topics discussed tonight, please give us a call at 818-707-0005. That number is 818-707-0005. This is Josh Lane. On behalf of the cast and crew, I would like to wish you a healthy and safe good evening.